Welcome to Midpoint, OCC's midweek podcast aimed at helping you connect with last week's message and prepare you for next week's sermon. Let's dive in. Welcome to Midpoint, your midweek connection to Orchards Community Church. My name's Forrest, and joining me today is Pastor James Green. Amen. Yes, the sermon title from last Sunday of this Anchored series that we just recently started uh, is called Paul's First Recorded Sermon. Yeah. So in this sermon, it was covering Acts 13, chapter 13, verses 13 through 41, where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark left Paphos and came to Perga uh, in Pamphylia, I love saying that, (laughs) where John Mark left the group for undisclosed reasons. He took off. He took off. And Paul and Barnabas then continued on to Antioch and Pisidia, where Paul speaks in the synagogue. Could they possibly have more P-words of places? (laughs) I I didn't even notice it until the first time I read it out loud, and I was like, that's a handful. That's a lot of P's. Yeah. It's fun to say, though. Yeah. So James, in this first sermon of, of Paul's, he was very methodical in showing them that the the Jesus is the culmination of history, and you use these three points. Yeah. The, the, uh, the culmination of history, the fulfillment of prophecy, and Jesus as the Savior of the sinners. And you did a great job with those three points. Thank you. And also, uh, I heard from other people uh, bringing in those old... Uh, Testament scriptures, yeah, yeah. basically validating and showing us where where that's coming from. So that was good. Um, but James, was there anything that you really wanted to to speak a little bit more into, but didn't have the the time or not in the right place? No, and and that's a tough one. This was a tough week, as you know, sitting in meetings to try and and work in all the things that we had planned, and we're typically planning services that are hopefully around seventy minutes, and and so just getting everything in was tough. And a big chunk of scripture to walk through, and it I was, thought, it, yes. yeah, and, and it was, and I thought it was really important because of the need to correlate some of the Old Testament to to make these points. Again, I doubt Paul wrote a sermon outline for, for his sermon, nor <laughs> nor do I think he wrote a sermon. I think he just started talking. He just started talking, <laughs> and, and this is what came out. But in that, as Luke records that, as, as he's catching the the gist of what Paul's trying to to convey to these people, those three points I thought were really clear. I love to teach that way. I'm on record that Mm -hmm. way. That's probably my Mm -hmm. favorite way to teach is literally just read a verse and go, hey, here's what that means. And then read the next verse and go, hey, here's what that means. Because, and we're going to reference this in another question, I don't think a lot of people spend time thinking about that. Hey, the Bible's this huge, cohesive story of God's great love for his people that's going to end with Jesus coming back. And we just segment parts of it and we're like, well, that doesn't you know coordinate with this. It does. Those things all work together. They're right, supposed right. to. And so pointing to the Old Testament to correlate is really, really helpful. The part that I didn't get to as much as I would have liked because of the time constraints was the application. Like I always want to preach towards application. Yes. Here, here's the things that you see in Scripture. Those are super important. Like it's great for us to understand that. Mm-hmm. But if we don't see then what we're supposed to do because of that, we're missing really the most important yeah. part anyway. Yeah. How does it apply to me today in my life? And exactly. And what do I... What, do you, what should I go do? Yeah. Understanding what it means is literally half the battle. It's it's important. Once we understand what it means, it is. The, the, you've got to take that next step. What do I do with this? Right. The, this is what leads us to correct interpretation, honestly. The, the things that are written in Scripture mean what they were supposed to mean to the people they were written to at the time they were written, in the language they were written, all that's really important. But then God's Word is timeless. It's living. It's active. So what are we supposed to do with it today? And if we forget to put those two parts together, we're only doing half of the Bible study right. <laughs> that we're supposed yep. to do. So I didn't get to spend a bunch of time 
on the application. And, and that part I, I do always hate because I'm hoping we realize, okay, there's stuff for me to do now. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, I threw in some things. Hey, as we go out to share the gospel, as we go out to make disciples, you make disciples. We're probably still today encountering people who think they can earn their way to heaven by being better than their next door neighbor. Sure. And as we meet people like that, we've got to point to Jesus and go, no, this is it. The stuff we saw in Acts 13, 38, and 39 about Jesus is the forgiveness of our sins, we still got to preach that today yeah. because there's no way we're earning our way to heaven, period. Right, right. <laughs> and and, so, and yeah. I think that's a, that's a key thing is pointing people to Jesus because God is the one that saves folks. If All I could, we can do is kind of direct people and point them that I've way. said this so many times. If I could save people, I would literally beat them over the head with the Bible, knock them unconscious, drag them to the foot of the cross. There, there you go. My job's done. Sure. But I can't do that. Right. And so since you can't, yeah, then it really becomes keep pointing, keep pointing, keep pointing back to Jesus, which is the part we can do. And so like I say, I... I if we'd had all the time in the world, I, I would have spent a little more time. I, I referenced even in the sermon a couple of times, gosh, I wish we had time to go through all these Old Testament scriptures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I pointed to zero scriptures about Christ's death fulfilling prophecy when there's hundreds of them. Right. And that's why I couldn't point to any of them. You start pointing to one and you, all of a sudden there's 15 more that you want to point. <laughs> so I just said, hey, do the homework on your own. It's there. I promise you it's right, there. Right. So. Well, and I... It, it, we were talking the other day about well, last staff meeting we were talking about our uh, our doctrinal statement. Yes, yeah. And I was doing a little bit of reading on that, kind of researching it. And you had done some uh, intensive work last summer. Yeah, working through that. I don't know if maybe it wasn't last summer. That was your sabbatical. I don't know if you should have been doing that. But there is right a, before the sabbatical. We there did. is a lot of scripture reference that you tied to our doctrinal statements yeah. of. The validated, yeah. we're we're pointed in the right direction. Well, and folks need to understand we're not making this up because we think this is the way church is supposed to look. Right, we're trying to do this in obedience to the pattern that God has laid out in His Word for yeah. what the yeah. church is supposed to look like. There's there's a reason we have a ministry council, mm-hmm. and it's not because we think it's cool and there's seven guys that we really like in the church. Right, it's because that elder led model is what you see in Scripture, so that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it's those mm-hmm. kind of things. Scripture yeah. supports what the church is supposed to look like more than lots and lots of people pay attention to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So on to some questions here. Yeah. Uh, first one, um, the person had uh, actually handwritten out a midpoint question we card. We love it so when you do that. We love it when you drop those in the box. <laughs> we had a couple. Um, so the question is, um, during the sermon, uh, reasons were given possibly why John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem. Yeah. He says, I would like to think he went back being called by the Holy Spirit, question mark. Yeah. I'd like to think that too, but I don't think that. <laughs> and in that, that's that. I think that's a great question. I truly, truly believe that's wonderful. There are so many times in this life where we do stuff, and it is truly against what the Holy Spirit would have us do. And then mm-hmm. God, being sovereign and knowing how everything is going to work out, still directs us and guides us towards, no, this is the best thing right, right. for you. I just don't believe in my heart that John Mark left for the right reason. I don't believe that he was like, well, I think the Holy Spirit's called me back home. I really don't. Um, but that's just me, because truly, God's still sovereign over the whole thing. Right. I left out several plausible reasons for why John Mark might have left, and one of them I think makes a lot of sense, and I didn't have near time to scratch the surface of this, but John Mark went out as a guy who maybe wasn't on board with the idea of Paul sharing the gospel with Gentiles. 
And maybe that well, was the, <laughs> the reason okay. that he went back. Sure. And there's actually scriptural credence to this. We're going to get to Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council where they're like, hey, let's wrestle this to the ground. Let's settle this debate. Right. Should the gospel go to these people? Well, maybe that whole Jerusalem council happened because John Mark said, I'm out, and went back to Jerusalem and told on Paul and Barnabas. It's like, yeah, these guys said they were going to share the gospel with Gentiles, and they really are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that's a big one that could be the reason John Mark left. Now, all that being said, and Scripture, again, totally comes alongside and supports this, there are places in our lives still today and back in the day for sure where we grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't do the thing that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Right, right. We're not, we're not paying attention. We're, we're too busy in our own head. Exactly. We're, we're trying to lead our own lives instead of allowing the Spirit to lead us and guide us. So there's areas where we grieve the Holy Spirit. There's areas where we quench the Holy Spirit. We don't do the mm-hmm. thing we know he wants us to do. We, and that's the difference between those things. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we do things we know we're not supposed to do. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't do the things we know God is leading us to. Okay. It's, yep. it's kind of like the flip side of grace versus mercy. Grace sure. is God giving us things we don't deserve. Mercy is him not giving us things we do deserve. And, and so understanding those concepts is kind of important for us as we move forward. Right. So, so would I like to say, well, John was led by the Holy Spirit back? I'd like to say it, but I don't think it's true. I think John was disobedient. I think he was supposed to be there, but he left. And so does that mean God throws up his hands and goes, well, there's nothing to do? You know, No, God still, it's amazing. This is the part that literally, I could talk about this forever. This makes smoke come out of my ears. Mm-hmm. Our sovereign God is so finite, uh, so infinite, right. that he understands exactly how we're supposed to get from where we are to where we're supposed to be. And when we mess it up, he still <laughs> figures out how to get us to the right spot. Yeah. That blows my mind because it's not just like my life is complicated that way. My life and the 8 billion people who live on this planet (laughs) at this moment and everybody since Jesus came and everybody until Jesus comes back. And that's where I'm like, I give up. Like I I can't keep my own (laughs) life in, in line. And God keeps everybody's life in line. But the beauty is like Jesus knows, God knows John Mark is going to return and be used wildly by God down the road. Yeah. And so he doesn't go, hey, I'm going to do something to make John Mark not leave at this time. No, the things that John Mark is supposed to learn by going AWOL actually become really important later on. And God knows that, and you and I can't. But we are so finite, we can't get that. If you you want to track John Mark's life, which is really, really kind of fascinating, um, a lot of people early on said the Gospel of Mark probably shouldn't have been canonized. Um, because it was just a repeat of the things that were going on in Matthew. I, I think when you study it, you're like, no, it was for a different audience, for a different purpose. But in that, like Mark wrote that, and I don't know this for sure. I mean, I'm speculating based on a lot sure. of really, really smart people, but probably right before like 60 AD, somewhere 57, 59, uh, I'm sorry, pardon me, uh, uh, AD, uh, af- after for sure Paul's first missionary journey, Okay, which was probably like 45 AD to maybe 48, 49 AD. Mm-hmm. So John Mark writes the gospel down maybe 15 years after he deserts Paul, right? So what happens in that 15-year time span? Right, right. He grows. He starts to realize, hey, the gospel is supposed to go to everybody. He starts to realize, hey, I'm supposed to actually be used by the Holy Spirit to record this thing that's going to wind up in Scripture. And, and yeah. again, and, and I'm not trying to point to one thing that you know solidifies this whole case, 
But towards the end of Paul's life, I don't know if you remember this or not, when he's uh, kind of pouring into Timothy, pouring into Titus with mm-hmm. the pastoral mm-hmm. epistles, he says at one point in time in Timothy, hey, everybody's deserted me. The only guy I've got left is Luke. Yeah. And he says, bring to me, do you remember who? John Mark, because he's useful to me in ministry. Yes. And, and I think, what a redemption story for this guy <laughs> that left and then had such a huge split that Paul was like, I ain't taking him back. Like, there's no way. Right. And now, you know, fast forward down the road, and he's like, no, that guy's useful. That, God's really using that guy. I'm like, that is a phenomenal redemption story that we spend very little time with because it gets one verse in the New Testament. Right. And that sometimes we don't realize those things that, that tie together that are... I'm, I'm thinking about while you're talking, I'm thinking about when you're in a... Uh, when you're in a movie theater mm-hmm. and you're you're watching the movie on the big screen, it's widescreen, it's got all the nice Bose sound, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then when you go home a year later and you watch that same movie and it's on your TV. <laughs> it's not and quite you the don't same. have the widescreen. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't see all the stuff that's happening on the periphery. Yeah. Kind of like in, in God knows what's happening and he's in control of this and he's going to... He's going to get his kingdom built one way or the other. It's that, going to that's, happen. Yeah, that's the beauty of God's sovereignty. That there are things that we're supposed to learn by messing up, by making poor choices and, and wandering off the path. And Because, again, the final point on the journey, the destination, is not really the destination. The things we learn on the journey, right. the ways we change and grow and become more like Christ. Right. And a lot of times we won't learn those lessons when things are smooth sailing and we're just heading straight towards where we think we're supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. We learn those lessons in the trials. We learn those lessons through disobedience. We learn those right. lessons through all these things that God wants to use to make us more like him. And so John Mark got to experience those. Do, do I think he left because he was called by the Holy Spirit? I don't. But I think it's a great question to ask because the Holy Spirit is still intimately involved in every part of that process. Sure. And maybe he made a mistake. Ultimately, that was resolved. Well said. Well right. said, yeah. I, I do I? I don't know. There's no way I can know this. But do I think John Mark messed up? Do I think he shouldn't have left? Yeah. Yeah. But because he left, we wind up with this incredible story of a guy who was restored to ministry. Well, who does that right. remind you of? That's Peter's story. Peter's a guy yeah. who never should have denied Christ three times in the but he did. Considering, yeah. yeah. And then right. what happens? He becomes Peter. He, be- he becomes right. the apostle Peter. And so in that, th- th- there's something I think where we just have this incredible rush to, to delegitimize, to, to say, well, that guy could never be used by God because he made this mistake or he made, you know. And the reality is everybody can be forgiven sin. Right. What do we have to do? We just have to confess the sin. Sure. And sure. move forward. But and the, the thing that, that I, was ta- I was told many years back, and I, of course I've been in, was in sales most of my adult life. Yeah. And there's some rejection there when you're going to talk to people. But the thing that I learned was don't don't be afraid to make a mistake. Yeah, you're gonna it's gonna happen. Just go do it. And now that I'm mo- more into scripture, deep more understanding of yeah. what God's trying to teach us, that would be a key point. If I was going to tell somebody, don't be afraid to make a mistake. That's where you learn. Still valid. No, that, that's that's exactly where you learn. And that's what God's going to use. He didn't he didn't use the 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 perfect people that no. were you know, ultra wealthy and all, he did some, but uh, he used yeah, he use the carpenters yeah. and the fishermen and, you know, and all of that. You see immediate ramifications of this even on the second missionary journey. 
Because as John Mark comes back and Paul goes, I ain't going to take him, what happens? Now, instead of one group going out, two groups are going out. Mm -hmm. And so legitimately, the gospel is being spread even more effectively right? because of John Mark's deal. So so God has got this totally. Yeah. Stuff happens and it always seems to work out better in the end, even though there's there's still some death and some suffering and things like that. Which is going to happen. The Bible tells us those things are going to happen. The part that blows my mind, Forrest, honestly, about the whole deal is, what if John Mark hadn't left? God still was going to make all this happen. He just would have had to maneuver and move other things. And that's the part where, in our finite minds, I'm just like, <laughs> I got. I, I can got see the nothing. smoke rolling out of your <laughs> yeah. ears. Right now. How does he do that? Well, he's God, <laughs> and and this is the thing. We're not supposed to try and put him in a box. He's going to accomplish the things that accomplish his will. Yeah. Period. Sure. And and that is literally. You start throwing up your hands and going, "Well, I'm not going to figure this one out. I'm just going to trust that God is sovereign. And he's got, and he's got it all." I don't think that's a cop out in Scripture whatsoever. I think Isaiah truly says. His ways are higher than our ways. His mm-hmm. thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Mm-hmm. He's got this figured out. Am I going to trust him? I, I'm I'm going to give up fighting again. Well, I say that, and I still fight. <laughs> yeah. But but like it makes no sense for me to fight against the sovereign God of the universe, who's got right. all that stuff figured out. Yeah, yeah. And it, I'm I'm thinking of an article that I was reading, and not to really go too far down this rabbit trail, but it was having to do with a uh, uh, emerging emerging church. Yeah. Is a movement, I guess, and they're trying to they're trying to track with uh, postmodernism yeah. that type of a thing. We're going to change with the culture to stay relevant, mm-hmm. and what's happening is God's message is getting diluted yeah. through people that are doing this, churches that are doing this. Uh, that's not what our church does. No, we still speak out of the Scripture. We will break it down, and we will explain. We'll give references, just like you did here, and uh, and show. God's path. There's there's danger in that emerging church movement, and it's been you know active for 20 years probably yeah. in that, uh, and, and a lot of people really try to to pull Paul into that movement, and there, there's this new theory on Paul and what he was actually trying to accomplish. He he literally was just doing what he says in Corinthians: to win the weak, I became weak; I became all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Not that I would water down the gospel, because that's not what he says. Exactly. I became those things so I could win those people to Jesus. Yes. And, and if we have that. I mean, if I throw stuff in, I made a Van Halen and Sammy Hagar reference. I do that just to make sure folks are paying attention, yeah. <laughs> not, not tuning me out. None of those things dilute the gospel. No, th- those things are just designed to draw people back in and go, do we really understand what's happening here? And that's the difference between trying to be true to Scripture versus trying to water down Scripture. Right. right. And, and I would just invite anybody listening today, and if you ever think we're even close to watering down Scripture... You got to come call us on it because that is not what we want to do whatsoever. Yeah. We want to be so true to Scripture. But that being said, we can still appeal to the different generations, and and, and we're right. trying to. Right. Yeah. But we're not we're not in the business of, of tickling of ch- the ears. Exactly. Uh, no, you can't change and, or alter the gospel in any way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when what all the folks in listening world out there just remember when you are hearing this type of of uh, narrative, yeah. uh, or you're reading articles or whatever the case might be. Be smart enough to look back into Scripture, make up your mind, uh, kind of like the, the women's ministry has a couple of Bible studies going right now, and they are encouraged not to Google to find the answer. Yeah. Figure it out. Think about it. So she's trying to teach the the uh, the reader yeah. how to think for themselves, work through Scripture, see what God has to say through that verse to you. Oh, yeah. I, we, we've walked a long way down the, this path, but I think this question is a great question, so thank you again. 
folks submitting questions in. There's a nature of Bible study where if we truly believe God's Word is inspired, then we don't. And I'm not, please don't hear me on this, I'm not knocking anybody uses a study Bible or commentary. I use them every week. Right. There's a point where you go, I'm going to read that, and if I don't understand it, I can literally pray, and I can ask God, hey, would you explain that to me? Would you show me what is going on there? Right. And because it is living and active, he can. I 100% believe he can, and I know it's happened for me. Now, that being said, is it helpful to have a study Bible? Sure. But, But I think the... The rush that we have is, well, I read my study Bible, and so I read it, the verse, and I go, I don't know what that means, and I immediately jump down to the study right. Bible, and I learn what somebody else says it means, and I go, okay, great, without ever actively engaging in it and processing it. You know, I don't, it's not a great question to go, what does that verse mean to you? Because that's not all that important, honestly. It, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. How is God speaking to you yeah, through that verse? That's an important question three or four questions down the road. <laughs> but if the okay. first question isn't, what does that mean to the people it was written to at the time and place it was written, then we're really off on a bad path. Sure. We have to know what it literally meant before we can go, okay, now how does that apply to me? Mm-hmm. And, and so again, I, I just, I don't trust feelings. Like I don't want to be in that spot. Well, here's how that makes me feel. Well, that's great. But that's not what it means. <laughs> that's just how it makes you feel. That, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So th- those things, learning correct Bible study methods is really, really important in that. So we yeah. went far down that path, but that's still a fun question. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to question two before <laughs> we go. just literally run out of time. <laughs> question two. I heard you mention Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord yes, or the yeah. birth of Jesus. And it's fascinating to me that every time someone mentions the date of their birth... Yeah. They inadvertently focus on the existence of God in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I had a great conversation with a guy who came up uh, during the Meet the Staff time on Monday night asking about atheism, agnosticism, you know, Mm. a friend he had been invited to church who I guess originally had said he was atheist and then admitted that he was agnostic. Atheism is... I don't mean to just call people out here here on the podcast. It's kind of goofy, the idea that you just say, well, there's no God. Man, there's a lot of stuff that has no explanation without a God, but okay. Right. If you would more correctly say, well, I'm agnostic, I, I struggle with the idea of an all-knowing God. You know? Yeah, I get that. I mean, I think that's a real struggle. But in that, as you start saying, well, okay, I'm going to celebrate the year of my birth, 1968 AD or whatever, you are tacitly saying, we keep time based on this guy, Jesus. And if one guy is that important to the history of our timeline, right, right. that's saying something. It really, sure. really is. And and so again, we could claim whatever, you know, claim there's no God, but we're still acknowledging it right. in some way. So I think that is an, a neat thought. It's a neat question. If you if you're willing to do the study, if you're willing to be a person who digs deeply into things, um, I, I you and I were talking about a, a book just before we started recording. Uh, by a pastor who's who's had some some struggles, honestly, uh, and been discredited a little bit. Although I think his theology is still pretty solid, but he he wrote a book several years ago called "Who Is This Man," and it literally was kind of walking back through Jesus's history and saying, if you don't want to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, at least look at him in history and go, how does a guy like that impact so many different things, unless he's the Messiah, mm-hmm. unless he's transcendent sure. in this way. Because otherwise, people don't have that kind of impact. And again, this is just the, the tip of that iceberg, the starting right. point. But again, I think people are, are saying, well, we just accept that. Well, why do you accept that? Because historically, it's 
been proven to be pretty accurate. <laughs> right. And, and, and the, I guess the pushback you get on that, uh, I don't know how much study you've done into that, the timeline is probably not actually correct. Like the, when Jesus was born was probably somewhere like six to four BC. Right. I've, you know, I've and, seen and that. So, yeah. yeah. And so the timeline probably isn't exactly correct. Right. I don't know how big a deal people want to make out of that. We celebrate Christmas in December, and there's no way it actually. <laughs> <laughs> the birth of Christ would have been in the spring, based on all the things you see in Scripture about the shepherds in the field and all well, that. Yeah. But but I mean, you know, so, so we've assigned a date. Well, big deal. We got the date wrong. The concept is still a hundred percent solid. Sure. So stick with it. You know. So so those are the kind of things. Are we willing to have good dialogue about how these things came about? And I, and I think at, at that juncture, that becomes a really good question. How important is Jesus to history? I think he's supremely pretty, important. Yeah, pretty darn important. Yeah. And the and the and the thing is there's there are more things like that. Yes. Tons and tons. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to look that far. No. <laughs> Good homework project for someone. That's a fun one. Yeah, we might get more questions next week. <laughs> okay. We're just going to jump into number 3. Yes. Would you say that in today's world there are many church attenders that are aware of God's word? but still do not understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah. That's the one, as you presented the questions to me earlier, I just, I just made some notes, and, and the first thing I wrote sounds so horrible. I don't know why that was the first thing to pop out of my head. I wrote, biblically illiterate. <laughs> and, but there's a reality to that. I'm not trying to call people out. I'll just share my experience on this. And, and, and I could not, if I had a dollar for every time this happened, I'd be so rich. Mm-hmm. People come to my office and they ask questions and they go, well, I don't really know what the Bible says about this. I've never had you know, the opportunity to read it. And I'm like, that's a lie. <laughs> you have lots of opportunity to read the Bible. Lots of opportunities to read the Bible. Almost every house in America has a Bible. Has two or three. And they got to... And you have the internet. <laughs> yeah. So, so I know it's not that you haven't had the chance to read it. There are people who literally, they, they start to read the Bible. And then this is a, a reality that you have to deal with. They start to read the Bible. I'm like, well, I don't understand it. So I just quit, you know? And this is why when I encourage people to read the Bible, I'm like, don't feel like, and, and I've seen great Bible reading plans. I'm not trying to knock those. You know, read a chapter in the Old Testament, read a chapter in the New Testament, read a Psalm, and you get through the Bible in a year, which you will. Will you understand any of it? That's the more important question to me. Right. So my recommendation always has been, don't feel like you got to read a chapter. Read until you have a question. Read until there's something you don't understand, and then stop and go research the question. Come talk to you or me. Talk talk to people they know who love the Lord. They may not know the answer, but in the dialogue, you'll learn something. And so I don't care if you read four words and you're like, I don't know what this is. Well, go ask the question. Right. And the more and more you start to understand the big picture of the Bible, the more it will come alive to you and you'll have less, well, gosh, what's going on here questions. Mm -hmm. You'll have tons of then how do I apply it questions. That's different. Those are totally different questions. But, But to me, that seems to be the answer to that. And, and I do, I struggle with that. Well, I don't really know what the Bible says about this. You should. If you call yourself a Christ follower, <laughs> spend some time walking through right. God's Word and right. figuring out what it is. But if you don't, then don't say, well, gosh, there's no way I can pick that up. You can. You totally can. Mm-hmm. Just start. Wait in somewhere. I never suggest people start reading the Bible from Genesis. Like, I never tell anybody. It's a long road. <laughs> Well, and, and Genesis yeah. is pretty exciting. There's a bunch of cool stories and everything. But I mean, the problem is you get through Genesis and you can make it probably through Exodus. 
And then you get to Leviticus and, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And if you make it all the way to Numbers, you're like, I'm stopping. Right. <laughs> well, I'm reading the census. Why am I doing this? You know? And so in that, read the New Testament first. If you literally start with any of the Gospels, but I mean, just start Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and read through, it's stories of Jesus, and there's miracles, and there's cool, these cool things. And you start to see, okay, here's the things Jesus came to right, accomplish. Right. And then you read through the epistles, and, and, and you read through the pastoral epistles, and you read, if you can make it to Revelation, if you've made it through the rest of the New Testament at that right. point in time, you're kind of all in. Then go back. Then read the Old Testament in light of Jesus, in light of what you know about Jesus at that time. Mm-hmm. And you'll start to see so many references in the Old Testament to the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start to put them together, and it's not so foreign. It's not so, oh, I don't understand what's going on here. You do because you read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Once you do that, right. it's, it, you can start putting the mm-hmm. pieces together. Mm-hmm. Is the history hard to put together sometimes? Yeah, it still is. But, I mean, you can paint broad brushstrokes and get an idea. I mean, Paul's sermon didn't include all the detail, but it gave a really good overview of, hey, here's what's yeah. exactly what's going on. And in that, you start to pick up patterns, you know? So once you do that, it, it really does become, okay, I think I get what's up. Mm-hmm. There's this plan that the God who created everything has for me to be restored to him so I can have an eternal relationship. Start there. Start super big picture. And then just start mm-hmm. working your way back. Well, and the beauty of it is in the, uh, the, in the beginning of the New Testament, the first few books, you're going to read a, a, essentially the, a lot of the same story. Exactly. Yeah. In a little bit different viewpoint. And that's that's a way a lot of people will learn through that repetition yeah. in a little different way of, of seeing it. And then you just can t- kind of continue it on and you start tying in some of the, the loose ends there. Well, one of the things, to the scope of the question, which I really appreciate, do people read the Bible and not understand the notion of fulfilled prophecy? I guarantee they do. And, and sure. dear goodness, the first couple of years I read the Bible, I didn't. And I was in love with Jesus. I met uh, Jesus through Young Life Ministry mm-hmm. and really in love with this idea of a Savior who could save me from my sin because I was just mired in, in horrible sin. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a God who would love me, forgive me, you know, bring me in, into the family was phenomenal to me. I didn't understand a thing about prophecy <laughs> at the time. So it wasn't really until you start studying and you're like, okay. But once that happens, then you do start to realize, and it, it provides this great base for you to go... Well, this stuff's real, not just because I existentially believe it or whatever, right, right. but because if you study history, you can't make these kind of predictions and then have them come true without a sovereign God being in charge of that. Nobody's that lucky. Exactly. You, don't, yeah. you don't make that many good guesses. you know. <laughs> and so in that, it starts to then correlate. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I, I've, there's a zillion illustrations, and I've heard the one you could pile you know, silver coins you know, three feet high in Texas and, and go through and mark one with an X. And, and the opportunity to say you could prove a, a prophecy out of the Bible, it would be like going into Texas and wading in and finding that one coin. And there's hundreds of prophecies that are fulfilled in Scripture right. where you're like, there's no chance. There's literally zero chance. And yet they all happened according to history, not just according to the Bible. Exactly. According yep. to recorded extra-biblical history. Yep. And you're like, at some point in time, you're like, okay, I'm going to quit arguing against that. because <laughs> Some people just like to argue. Well, they do. <laughs> if you want to disprove Jesus, all you got to do is leave a bunch of stuff out. I mean, it, it really, it just don't do yeah. the research and go, yeah. well, I don't believe it because. Which we hear too, yeah. way too often. But, the, but that's not an intellectual debate. That's just you arguing the position you want to hold. Right. And that makes no sense. No. If, if you're really willing to dialogue with people, 
Lee Strobel is the the famous, and and, and I like Strobel a, mm-hmm. a lot from what I've read of him. But he was a, an investigative journalist or an investigative reporter whose wife accepted Christ. Yeah, and he was like, "Well, I'm going to set out to disprove this." And this is a guy who was maybe the most well-equipped ever. I mean, like he was an investigative journalist is what he did. And so he started down the path. I'm going to interview people. I'm going to read the sources. I'm going to do... And what did he do? Within a year, he professed faith in Christ. Yeah. Because he realized all the stuff's real. And God got a hold of him. And now, dear goodness, he's a world-renowned speaker and written all these phenomenal books. If you really are willing to do the, <laughs> the work, right. I think everybody ends up where Lee Strobel is. God's real. Yeah. So. And that's that's an interesting tie-in to just bring this back around yeah. full circle. When when God grabs a hold of your heart, that's when you get to know Amen. who this really is. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So, uh, that, that did end nicely. Good job. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so can you give us a sneak peek? I know you're not preaching this Sunday. Yeah, Brenton, 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 Brenton will preach. preach. I'm, I'm heading off to visit colleges with my baseball playing boy, um, but I'll be back, I promise. Well... Lord willing, yeah. <laughs> really believe I'll be back. But uh, Brenton gets a neat passage. Uh, sometimes I, I feel uh, I'll just admit my my failings in this. I really was looking forward to preaching this <laughs> this passage. Uh, Paul and Barnabas continue on their journey, and they face some opposition, as we're going to get when we go out and share right. the gospel. And so it's how do you push back against it? But but I don't know that it's more uh, important. It's certainly not. But it's more telling that the opposition they face is because they are trying to expand the reach of the gospel. Like literally now they are intentionally going to Gentile areas and you continue to get pushback. We still get opposition today. Hey, does the gospel apply to people who struggle with same sex? Does the gospel apply to these people who are drug addicts, but they say they love the Lord, but they struggle with this addiction? Does the gospel apply to them? Is the gospel for them? Well, we're answering the same question they answered back in the day. What about these Gentile guys? The gospel wasn't for them, was it? Yeah, the gospel's for everybody. Right. How do we take the gospel to them and still hold fast to the truths that we right. see in there? We're not going to change it. We're not going to diminish it. We're not going right. to water it down. And so you can't go to someone and go, well, your lifestyle doesn't matter. No, your lifestyle very much matters. Mm-hmm. But God loves you where you are. He's willing to meet you where you are to try and draw you closer to him. Right. Will we be willing to die to areas that we go, no, I can't let that go? Well, somebody who continues to struggle with addiction after they say they give their life to the Lord, did they really give their life to the Lord? Those are the questions you have to ask Mm -hmm. because God can transform and change people from the inside out. And it happens with the Gentiles in this passage. And and again, how Paul and Barnabas deal with it is great and a good primer for us to realize how we're supposed to do it even today. Right. So very, very exciting passage. Be praying about that. Do we realize the gospel extends to everybody? Right. Amen. Right. Perfect. All right. (laughs) Well, that is all the time we have for uh, Midpoint this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's uh, broadcast. Yeah. So if any of you would like to send in questions or thoughts into the show, again, you can drop a card in the Midpoint box just in the foyer of the church on Sundays or Mondays, uh, or you can email or text us. The uh, uh, web address is occpodcast at lewistonocc.org. Be sure to join us in service this coming Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 10.30, as well as Monday night at 7 o'clock. And we hope to see you all very soon. Be well and know that you are loved by God and all of us here at Orchard's Community Church. Love you guys. Love you guys.